This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, February 24th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride approves first reading of modified STR restrictions. Town Council discusses local liquor laws. Birds of play flock home. And a mountain weather forecast. The November elections are gone, but not forgotten. This week, Telluride Town Council passed the first reading of an ordinance modifying changes to short-term rental regulations that passed last year. Among other changes, ballot question 2D capped the number of STR licenses to what they were the day of the election for two years and allowed a one-time transfer of a license if a unit that already has one sells. This week's vote added several exceptions to that cap. One change that had widespread agreement enables indefinite transfers of licenses from sales for a select number of units that can't be long-term occupied. And they either have to be available into the rental pool or they have very limited owner use or occupancy of that dwelling unit. That was town attorney Kevin Geiger at this week's meeting. Other changes required more discussion, including allowing town to issue new licenses for people wanting to short-term rent their primary residence. A key question there was what documents should someone have to provide to prove a unit is their primary residence? Geiger presented a list of six documents, including federal and state tax filings, a deed, proof of being a town elector, a valid Colorado driver's license, and a utility bill. Some felt people should submit all six. Here's council member Geneva Shawnette. I think we should require all of them and to be submitted. And then if there is some unique circumstance um, where one thing is missing, I, I would leave that up to the clerk to determine. But council member Mian Fee notes it could be hard to get tax filings with a local address for someone who recently moved. Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Ray Arguelles thinks they're making the whole proof of primary residency too difficult. Anticipating the fact that people are just going to be out there to try and take advantage of the system just seems it, it's, it seems presumptive and it, it seems awful. I don't know why we can't just do a, a deed and a name. We know who's the second homeowners and who's not if it's a primary residence to to anticipate that people are this awful, I just think is, I think it's ridiculous. And I think we're making a mountain out of a molehill. Ultimately, council decided to require all six documents, but allow staff discretion for timing on the tax documents. One change council didn't approve was allowing renters or tenants who are primary residents to apply for STR licenses. Here's Mayor Delaney Young. To me, a tenant in a place who obtains an STR The owner is the person benefiting from that unless there's some contract that they have where the tenant gets to keep all the money. But I I just don't see how that is anything but an owner who doesn't live here obtaining an STR through their tenant. The biggest item of discussion was whether to allow a one-out, one-in system to allow people to apply for licenses if some are not renewed. Councilmember Mian Fee stresses the voters approved language to hold the number of licenses constant. So replacing unrenewed licenses makes sense. I don't want us to get to 2023 and then look back and say, oh, we had 10 licenses in 2022 that we could have given out, but we didn't. Because I think that that is against the spirit of the ballot language that the voters voted on. Council member Dan Enright, however, is against adding a one-out, one-in system, which wasn't in the original language. Noting council was asked to make changes to the 2D language about two weeks after the election. So to bring it within that 
incredibly condensed time frame is somewhat insulting to me. And so I, I don't support this. One challenge with a one-out, one-in system is license holders have till the end of the year to reapply. So town technically wouldn't know how many licenses weren't renewed until then. Modifying that would require changing local codes, which a majority of council is against. The majority of council did support a lottery system, which people could apply for in the second half of the year, to get a spot in line to potentially get an STR license in early 2023, depending on how many go unrenewed. Mayor Pro Tem Arguez, however, was against the lottery approach. I don't think that that makes any sense. I think we can timestamp applicants as they come in. I also like think that there's simply dwellings out there that won't ever be utilized for long-term rentals, like a $5 million house. Um, to try and put that in a lottery and then maybe have it sit empty all year long seems counterproductive and not remotely close to what we we're trying to do, which is have bodies here, have people supporting our businesses, um, creating jobs. So I'm, I'm, I'll probably be the, the lone wolf on this one, but I'm against the lottery. Nonetheless, council agreed on the lottery. They then packaged all the STR changes into an ordinance that passed five to one, with Enright the lone no vote. Councilmember Adrian Christie was not at the meeting. The ordinance modifying 2D's STR restrictions will require a second reading for final approval. Telluride is shifting, updating, and clarifying elements of its liquor laws. So today I'm going to present um, some information on state liquor laws that were passed in 2021 that didn't really get that much attention, but do impact the town of Telluride. That's Telluride town clerk Tiffany Kavanaugh, who led the work session. On the whole, the discussion is straightforward. The state amended rules around liquor training. Legislation now states owners, managers, and special event managers attend a liquor license training every two years, and a new employee must complete a training within the first 90 days of hire. Telluride's requirements were more relaxed, but council decided to move in line with the state. The second topic looks at takeout alcohol permits. Currently, Colorado allows takeout alcohol through July 1, 2025, with a state permit. Local municipalities are allowed to create their own permitting process for businesses to sell to-go alcohol. Town Council opted to simply require the state permit, but will require businesses to provide the town a copy of that state license. Next, tasting permits. Since 2004, the state has allowed retail liquor stores to provide tastings, as long as they comply with a number of regulations. Telluride allows tasting, but doesn't require a permit to do so. In speaking with the Marshall's Department, they haven't been an issue, so this is not a a strong recommendation from staff saying that we think that we really need an application process. I don't think that there have been any issues, but because we were diving into the liquor code, I just wanted to point out that we do have this in our municipal code and it's unusual to not have an application process. Council's take, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Council opted to keep allowing tastings and not require a permit. Finally, festival permits, the topic of most discussion. This is one that just kind of slipped into the state code, didn't really get a bunch of attention, and now municipalities are like, what? What is this? According to Kavanaugh, a new festival permit allows a liquor license holding business in Colorado to apply for a festival permit from the state and sell alcohol on public or private property. The state code does allow the local jurisdiction to develop 
an application process for festival permits. And staff is highly recommending a local process because if we don't, the state process really limits to what we can do and deny um, and have approval uh, over. She says without a permitting process, the town of Telluride would only be allowed to deny a permit if it was not submitted within 10 days of the event, the festival had a history of violation of liquor code, or if granted, the permit would violate the state liquor code or laws of the town. And town attorney Kevin Geiger notes the permits are allowed by any business in the state. For instance, a manufacturer out of the front range could apply to use town property as part of a festival event. And under state law provisions, that would all, that would be the only thing they would need to do unless we had adopt a local licensing provision. Kavanaugh highlights if the town does nothing or allows festival permits, it could dramatically change the way liquor sales take place at festival events in town. Typically what happens is a nonprofit will pull a special event liquor permit and they use it for fundraising purposes. It's a really important part of fundraising for the local nonprofits. The new law would allow for-profit businesses to collect revenue from those events instead. Council was unanimously against allowing festival permits to be allowed on town property. For council member Geneva Shawnette, she opposes them in any instance. I think that selling alcohol is a major way that most of our local nonprofits fundraise. And I don't want, I am not interested in this on public property or private property in town. But council member Mian Fee sees it from a different perspective. She says if the town completely prohibits festival permits, event organizers will find a way to sidestep the rules. I just think that the easiest, clearest way to be able to manage the process the way we want it is to say, yes, we will allow festival permits through this local approval process only. And then they have to go through the approval process with us. And then we are able to issue or deny that festival permit as opposed to saying there are no festival permits because there's going to be a way to kind of maneuver around it. So I think if you put clear parameters within that permit process, then you have the ability to deny or allow those events to move forward. Council was in agreement to prohibit festival permits on town-owned property and directed staff to gather more information on what a permitting process would look like for permits on private property. Town Council plans to discuss the matter further at its meeting on March 22nd. Beloved local band The Birds of Play is coming home to roost this weekend. The band is releasing a new album, Murmurations Volume 2, and kicking off a tour with an album release concert at the Sheridan Opera House. KOTO News spoke with band members Alex Paul and Annika Dean about the new album. Alex Paul, Annika Dean of the Birds of Play. Thanks for being here, guys. <laughs> we have you here today because you are going to be playing an album release party at the Sheridan Opera House on Friday, February 25th. We are indeed doing that. You're releasing an album, so let's talk about that. This is Murmurations 2, the second volume. Does it start off where Murmurations 1 stopped? What can we expect from this new album? It's not quite as, I think, thematically cohesive as that. Um, it, it, it was recorded at the same time as Volume 1 uh, in Swing Finger Studio outside of Fort Collins. We got together in January of 2021 uh, amidst a 
extended hi- an extended hiatus from touring due to uh you guys remember covid remember that was that pandemic that vaguely happened recently? i've heard about it yeah it was crazy um but we we knew we were taking that that winter off of touring and uh we had we had planned on getting into the studio the, the previous spring and that obviously got kiboshed due to the covids um so we we got together for like five days in ofra and rehearsed and then we're in the studio for seven days all together and there was much rejoicing uh it was a a, a very exuberant gathering of birds um due to the fact that a we really love each other b we laugh a whole lot C, we really like playing music together. D, we hadn't gotten to do that. And E, also all of the above. So there's a cohesion to the volumes one and two because they, they, they were a batch of songs that kind of all sprung from, uh, you know, like a year and a half period of, of the band um, kind of progressing and finding, finding our footing. And, um, and they were all recorded at the same time. You know, volume one had kind of, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, Fate of Saints suite and Gale and Doug and like a lot of nature themes and, and uh, connection to land themes. And then um, there was uh, Jack's song Scattered and, and our song Not Alone um, that kind of spoke to the, the, some of the, the, the tribulations of, of being apart for extended periods of time. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of the themes from volume one still carry over to volume two because they're pretty core to how we engage with the world and, and how we create music. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have like a linear flow to it from volume one to volume two. You know, your albums, while they feel very much like albums, they also, and I mean, I guess any musical venture should, but they kind of feel like pieces of art in addition, right? Like, they are long songs in a world where most songs are like two and a half, maybe three minutes long. And they're just these, um, you kind of touched on, but like sweeping thematic narratives that we don't necessarily get to see in a lot of albums these days. You know, is that something that is like intentional, that you're trying to create something that is both entertaining, but also its own piece of art? Or is it just something that that is your sensibility? And so that's kind of what's created. I think it's more the latter. I, I don't think it's as uh, I, I don't I don't mean contrived in, in a negative sense, but it, as as like intentionally structured as that. This just seems to be how how our musical musicality is expressed. Um, and it, it's interesting. We're doing the the band contest for for bluegrass, and their criteria. Uh, is to keep the songs as close to three minutes as possible. And looking back through our catalog, we're like, well, none of our current songs are going to fit that bill. So I've been working with some constraints, which is really fun to work with constraints in my songwriting. Uh, It's a fun challenge. But uh, I've recently written a couple of three-minute bluegrass songs for the band competition so that we have something that's actually usable for that. (laughs) Do you feel like there is a song on the new album that you feel really like highlights the energy and the emotion of what this album is. Uh, yeah, Jack's song Turab is, uh, I think, the song. I mean, that song is about the connection of, you know, performer and audience and just of people in general, and especially given, you know, the circumstances of the last couple of years where people have been. Um, missing a lot of connection uh, with the pandemic, I think it even speaks more to that connection in this community and just people in general. Before there were strings 
been long before Weird words to sing As we've mentioned, y'all have a concert coming up at the Sheridan Opera House on Friday. A, how excited are you? And B, how excited do you want everybody else to be who's going to be coming to the show? Uh, A, um, the most, and B, unreasonably. This will be our first time uh, performing as a full band at the, the Opera House, and it's one of all of our favorite venues in the whole wide world, and we are A, the most excited, and B, borderline too excited. Before we go, can you share with me your favorite bird call? My favorite to do is uh, is a, a raven. Um, and I love talking back to ravens when I'm walking about. Um, I'll see what I, you know, voice isn't really warmed up, but bear with me here. That's impressively good. Thanks. Alex, Paul, Annika Dean of The Birds of Play, one half of The Birds of Play. Thank you so much for coming and chatting, and we'll see you at the Opera House on Friday. Thanks for having us, Julie. Thank you. The Birds of Play album release concert will take place at the Sheridan Opera House on Friday, February 25th at 9 p.m. Tickets are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. You feel it too. That way of calm washing. Avalanche danger is high in the San Juans after the snow dump from this week's storm. There is an avalanche warning throughout the region through Thursday night. Our advice during an avalanche warning is to avoid traveling in or underneath avalanche train. That's Ethan Green, director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. Green adds the storm came after a long period without much snow, which he says is a great time to form weak layers. So we've seen a bunch of spontaneous avalanches. We've seen remote triggers, um, you know, really sensitive conditions in the backcountry and and through the road corridors, uh, you know, over the last couple of days. Avalanche danger in the region will probably drop from high to considerable over the weekend, Green anticipates. But he adds it will still be a dangerous period. Because we have uh, a lot of snow after a a long dry period. Uh, We have pretty dangerous avalanche conditions. It's still going to be quite easy to trigger avalanches uh, over the weekend, uh, but the amount of natural activity and the, fresh, the flashing red light, so to speak, the heavy snowfall and strong winds that make you think about avalanches are going to be subsiding. You're going to see a lot of fresh snow, uh, more sunny skies, but uh, still very dangerous avalanche conditions. More fatal accidents, Green notes, happen during considerable levels of avalanche danger than during high. Still, Green isn't saying don't go out, just be careful. If you're not sure about the conditions or if you're worried about the conditions, stay on low angle slopes. Stay um, on slopes less than 30 degrees and out from underneath uh, steep terrain. Uh, there's still going to be some great recreation to be done on those slopes. If you're planning to get into steeper slopes, you really want to make sure you have a good trip plan and that you really understand the terrain that you're going into and what the consequences are going to be so that you can manage the avalanche hazard. Have a great time out there. Come home safe. Green adds to always check the avalanche forecast at colorado.gov slash avalanche. And for anyone heading to avalanche terrain, he says, always bring an avalanche transceiver, a probe pole, and a shovel.
Environmental organizations in the Telluride region could have a chance to get some help from graduate students through Western Colorado University's Masters of Environmental Management program. For the second half of a two-year program, students complete a 600-hour project in partnership with different organizations. WCU has partnered with the Telluride Institute to develop a Telluride cohort for the Masters. What I've found from living in mountain towns for 30 years is a lot of the young talent, they come after college for a couple years and they head out. And for grad school, we want to keep people in mountain towns. We want to keep young talent in mountain towns. We're trying to help folks stay in Telluride to get a master's by doing environmental work they're passionate about for the Telluride area. That's Dr. John Hausterfer, dean of the WCU School of Environment and Sustainability. This Friday, he will be at the Wilkinson Public Library to discuss the program with community members, including people interested in enrolling and organizations interested in partnering for projects. The Western Colorado University Masters of Environmental Management event will be from 4 to 5 p.m. in the program room at the Wilkinson Public Library. There is also a Zoom link available at telluridelibrary.org. With heavy snowfall over the past few days, the Colorado Department of Transportation closed several mountain passes for snow removal and avalanche mitigation efforts. Red Mountain Pass on Highway 550 between Silverton and Uray remains closed as crews mitigate snow slide paths and perform snow removal operations. Highway 550 remains open south of Silverton. Red Mountain Pass will remain closed through Friday, February 25th. Colorado Democrats at the State House are blocking new Republican efforts to ban abortions. KOTO Scott Franz has more. Lawmakers debated the bills for nine hours on Wednesday before rejecting all of them after midnight. They would have created criminal penalties for abortions and forced doctors to provide more information about patients to the state. Democrats say the efforts to ban the procedure are dangerous and extreme. Meanwhile, anti-abortion advocates are gathering signatures to get a question on the November ballot that would make the procedure a crime under most circumstances. Voters rejected similar questions in recent years, including a 2020 effort to restrict abortions after 22 weeks. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 5 degrees and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Friday, expect mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night. The high is around 25 degrees with a low around zero. Wind chill values could hit as low as negative 15 degrees. Saturday should be sunny with a high in the mid-30s. Saturday night calls for mostly clear skies with a low around 10 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, February 24th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.